Welcome back to Washington Beer Talk. This week, we're back in Houston at Under the Radar with Paul and JJ. Under the Radar is a tiny little brewery in the middle of Houston that competes with the big dogs, the likes of St. Arnold and older breweries like No Label. Paul and JJ aren't the founders, but they are the people running the show these days at Under the Radar. Let's see if this brewery has what it takes. I'm the cycling certified Cicerone, and this is Washington Beer Talk in Texas. My name is Jauke Jan Bol, and I'm the head brewer brewery. And you can probably say JJ, which is way easier um, for pretty much everybody who's not a native Dutch speaker. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay, good. I appreciate that. I, uh, JJ, good to meet you, JJ. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then Hecky is here as well. The, and Hecky you know, is a little brewery. Uh, most important aspect yeah. of, uh, of the brewery. Yes. Uh, yeah, what is that? J G E K K I E. That's yeah. Dutch. Right. <laughs> yes, it means silly in Dutch. Oh, okay. Yeah. Paint a quick word picture of of the brewery. Where, where like, where, I mean, we're sitting in the office, but what's it like out there? What is this place? Uh, we started pretty small. You know, we began with uh, three guys in a garage. You know, just toiling away our pilot system. Our, you know, that we started with is still sitting out there, and we JJ brews on it once a week. Um, new stuff we're playing with, but. Uh, uh, we're under the radar, so you know we we kind of were making beer for people that like craft beer, but didn't think we were going to you know reinvent the wheel or, or you know or change the world with what we were going to you know what we were making. Um, so we're just um, day to day we're making good beer that people like to drink, but it's very accessible to people that aren't you know that, that don't aren't looking for an eleven percent stout or a ten percent double IPA or you know. Uh, a crazy sour, you know, we're, we're just making um, traditional style beer and uh, having fun doing it. And, and yeah, we're located in Midtown in Houston, so um, it's a very nice part of the city. We have a, a very nice uh, beer garden style uh, outside, which is lovely uh, for most of the time when the weather is very well. Of course, today it's raining and it's horrible, but... Uh, it's brought you all weather. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yep, brought yeah. Seattle down to Texas for sure. Yes, uh, but it's so it's a very nice uh, place to come and hang out and uh, have like a conversation with people. You're actually you know, sitting down, enjoying a beer, talking to people instead of going to a bar where you have to shout to people and it's so crowded, you know, you're not enjoying yourself. You're just, you know, cramped up in some space. This is... I want to go here, I want to relax, I want to chill, uh, I want to bring my family, I want to bring my dogs, uh, just have a good good day. The nice family style brewery around the corner that you can come to and, and enjoy yourself uh, for a good time. Yeah. It's kind of got, it, so what it, what it is, it's just a warehouse, it's a garage with a big yard. Essentially. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it used to be a chop shop. Oh yeah, okay. What What's the story there? Do you know anything more about that? Uh, I don't actually. No, that's um, sort of my my knowledge as well. Yeah, uh, uh, I think we found you know like the the cheapest warehouse we possibly could yeah. in a nice part of town or in an yeah. area of town that was up and coming, um, and uh, you know, we were happy with the location, so we just started making beer. Um, but it was nicer than for the neighbors than yeah. tearing apart cars. So that, that <laughs> sounds good to me. Uh, we yeah, we we noticed we were walking through they, that they have. Uh, What's, what's that, the Museum of Contemporary Art, or just a contemporary art, yada yada, right across the street? And then um, even right one block past that is apparently the first gas station ever built in Houston, now a coffee shop. Yeah, this is an interesting part of Houston. We're, um, we're technically in Midtown, but if you go um, one, you know, about a block or two over, you're in Third Ward, which is um, has a uh, just a, a lot of different eclectic kind of people living there, you know, everything from lower income to higher income to, you know, artists that are still yeah. hanging on to their houses, you know. Uh, but we're also very close to the museum district and the medical center. Um, and then uh, the midtown area, a little closer to downtown, is um, uh, much more of a younger party, you know, kind, yeah. of, kind of nightlife scene type scene. And uh, our the downtown of Houston was quiet for a long time, but that's up and coming. So... Um, we're in kind of in the the center of all of that, you know. So it's uh, we get a lot of different walks of people, in a lot of different age ranges, and um, uh, so it makes it kind of a fun, uh, a fun, fun scene to be in. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the three people, the, the three guys in a garage, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a third guy. Were you two the OG? No, we we came along afterwards. Okay. So um, for people that are <laughs> potentially being dissuaded. Uh, 
those three guys um, have all, they're still involved with the brewery, but, um, you, you know, you open a brewery and then real life happens and you have to go, you know, it, it's it's a lot of fun to open a brewery and, uh, you, and be doing all the brewing, but uh, the business aspect of it and um, there's a lot of other uh, angles. Uh, but at a certain point, you got you have to, you know, you can get your head, you can go, you put your blinders on and you go head forward with the brewing thing, but sometimes you have to go back to real life and yeah. so that the guys kind of found themselves in, the, in that um uh, in that position, but they did a great job creating the original, the core recipes, and creating the brewery. They built everything by themselves. Uh, did all the welding, did all the insulation. Um, um, so, uh, but JJ and I have come along uh, since then. Okay, um, I'm, I'm. You'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm. I'm talking to the two main guys. Like you guys are, you are make the brewery run now. There's you're the brewer and you're the manager. There's no one who else. Who else is involved? Sure. So we've got a couple of great sales guys, um, uh, Jaron or or Sellerman is really kind of the the beating heart. He is the delivery guy and the uh, uh, the guy cleaning all, doing all the, the the grunt work. So as much as JJ and I do to to keep things going on a you know, big picture level and creating recipes and, and executing sales strategies and stuff like that. It's the sales guys and the, the, the guys in the tap room and then, you know, our sellermen that are really kind of actually doing the heavy lifting, you know? So I um, have nothing but respect for those guys. Cause they, you know, all they do is work and, you know, we sit around and strategize, Yeah, <laughs> you know? <laughs> okay. So the three, the three founders, um, what are their names? Uh, Mike Norfleet, Ned Davis and Herb Garcia. And again, they started with, uh, they were brewing beers in the garage and um, on our pilot system. Uh, Ned had a chemistry background. Mike was a little bit more of an engineering board and uh, Herb was just kind of an all around home brewer type guy. Uh, when they got going, um, uh, they, they were brewing, started scaling up the beer, uh, beers again, um, but they were, Houston Dynamo is a local uh, MLS soccer team here. And so they started doing tailgates and they would be posted up doing uh, tailgate parties and serving beer to anybody that would walk by. And people were, kept coming by and like, dude, this is awesome. You know, like, like, like where can I find you guys? Like, oh, we're just my garage, yeah. <laughs> you know, come by. And then uh, I think somebody paid them to provide beer for their wedding. For a, for a wedding, and uh, from there they kind of became a, like, well, maybe there's a commercial aspect of this, and it, yeah. it kind of grew from there. Okay, um, when when was that all kind of happening? Is how how old is the brewery? Uh, we are about two and a half years now, but I think they got going uh, about about four years ago or okay. so. So you know, within you know, with licensing and you know, yeah. and kind of putting a business plan together and then generating funding and stuff like that, it took about a year and a half, two years yeah. or so. Okay, so. Um, yeah, you all wouldn't be the first people I've heard who have sort of found that running a brewery is not easier than starting a brewery. Sure. Uh, there are, yeah, there are people who like get, you get, it's easy to get really excited about starting a new business and doing all this stuff. And then when you get down to the day to day, you're just like payroll accounting. Nah. Yeah. Like it's, that. it's, it's minutia. You yeah. Know? Like it's great to have an idea and a, and a ideology of I'm going to make this beer, I'm going to, you know, or any product, you yeah. know, you, you, you feel strongly about what it is that you're creating, you know, but then, you know, life happens and, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it gets is, is, as exciting and as much fun as brewing beer is, uh, you know, it gets, it, it's, it's tedious <laughs> as yeah. well, you know, so. Um, and you're also not the first, first people I've talked to who have um, sort of gained a brewery um, without having founded it, right? You, you, sure. know, or, you know, sort of bought a young brewery or got into it. Are you, yeah, are you guys... Um, do you own, did you buy the brewery from them, or are you just um, you know working for them? Uh, we're we're involved in different aspects of it um, from a, a financial standpoint, so, okay. uh, or business business standpoint. So there's, there's there's different tiers of. I see. So you're like a partial, like one of the investors, maybe. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, right. I see. You don't want to go into that at all. I don't know. <laughs> no. You're sheepish about the answer. No, we're not. Too okay. Okay. Answer. Fair enough. Um, so do you guys have beer background? How'd you get into it? Uh, well, I have like no beer background uh, study-wise, so I used to do uh, facility management studies uh, back in the Netherlands and uh, I ended up working as a software support engineer in a small comp- company in the Netherlands uh, while I was, you know, I was homebrewing, was, uh, making beer is really fun, uh, so everybody listening who has never made beer, just go do it, buy like an easy, you know, 50 bucks uh, kit at a brew store and, and go make your beer. Uh, generally, it's very hard to ruin your own yeah. beer. 
It's very hard to make consistent beer, but making beer is, is not the hardest thing in the world. It's very fun to do, and, and um, so I did it for a few years, and then uh, my wife got a offer to uh, work here in Houston at the medical center, and she said, hey, you want to go? I was like, sure, why not? You know, let's go for an adventure, let's go to the States. So we, uh, we moved here now about two and a half years ago, and um, I was sort of like done with my, my job anyway, so I was looking for something else. And in the beginning, I couldn't really work because I was still waiting for my work permit because the U.S. government is just very slow in mm-hmm. generally everything. Um, you tell me. What are we? <laughs> it's week two of the shutdown right now, yeah. so. <laughs> yes. So my work permit was taking some time. And at some point, one of my friends, who I also used to homebrew with, came by. And you know, we both love beers. Uh, so we did um, sort of my, my thing. I, you know, as, a, as a Dutchman, I like riding bikes as well because uh, riding bikes is cool. And plus... I feel less objected to drink a lot when I'm riding my bike because, you know, if I hurt myself, so be it. At least I won't, you know, drive somebody to death. Uh, so we, we did bike around and we did like a lot of breweries and this one was sort of on my go-to list as well, um, but under it was radar. under the radar, yeah. but it was closed, uh, closed on that day. So we were sort of biking by anyway because we're going downtown and it's like my friend Marta said, you know what, just go in there, see if they, you know, will give us beer. So we walked in and Mike, one of our uh, founders, was working with uh, Caleb, one of our previous brewers, and he's like, walked in and said, hey, you know, can we get a beer? And he's like, as long as you uh, can pay credit card, we will open up the register and we'll give you a beer, whatever. You know, I can use the beer as well, I've been working all day. So we started chatting and... Uh, at some point, asking like, "Hey, what do you do here?" I was like, yeah, "Waiting for my work permit." And like, "So, what do you want to do when you, you know, get your work permit?" And my friend Mark says, "He wants to make beer." It's like, <laughs> boom, in your face, like, "Hey, you know." And the Mike's like, "Like, oh, you know, you know what? You just send your resume and you know, come for, come by for uh, for a brew day, and you know, we'll see." So I sent in my resume and um, I started, you know, joining join one of the brew days, and actually one of the previous brewers we had was transitioning to open up his own brewery so i sort of like slowly because people are leaving sort of yeah uh, you have to sort of pick up more responsibilities and shift in and then and at some point i was like hey seems like i'm the the head brewer now (laughs) (laughs) how does it happen (laughs) uh so you didn't have any real brewing experience except for home brewing you know your own thing and then and then slowly got sucked into this okay okay that's that's Away, <laughs> and it, I mean, we're on a ten barrel system, so it's relatively small. So it, it, that transition actually is it, there. There is still a lot of yeah. There's a lot, a lot of things to learn, and different. Yeah. But it, and, and it generally, I mean, the essence of home brewing or brewing on a big system is the same. Some things just like way longer or way more complicated to ex- to, yeah. you know, to execute. But you know, the, the idea is the same. Um, so yeah, I, I got sort of sucked into it, and uh, you know the guys, uh, Mike and, and Ned, helped me along. They, of course, they had the experience as well, and they've been brewing for roughly a year already here. So they had a year's worth of experience you know, running and brewing. Uh, so with, they with, with this equipment, with this know, equipment, it, yeah, of all beer equipment is different. You know, yeah, yeah. even though it's all the same process, it's all. You know, everybody's got their own thing, you know. Yeah, yeah so totally. It's, yeah, yeah. Like, so, yeah. so they, they helped me out a lot. And, of course, I, I did some studying in between. And, you know, whenever something is unknown to me, I just start studying and learning about it and trying to make it my own. And I had my wife uh, help set up our yeast uh, program because she works in a lab. So she, she wrote a yeast protocol for us in, like, 10 minutes, um, which for me probably would take, like, four days. Yeah. So she came in like, Oh, this is your comment? Oh, yeah, yeah, this, 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 uh, you do this. Okay, can you just do it step by step for me? <laughs> wow, that's nice. What's yeah. a yeast protocol even look like? I don't even, never even heard of that. Well, so uh, I'm not sure if everybody knows, but you can reuse yeast, um, which you know, saves money and is a, is a very good way to uh, just keep your process going. So uh, what we do is we take a sample of the yeast and... Uh, we dilute it with a, a water solution, um, and then we combine it with a um, a methylene blue solution. So that basically sort of colors the dead yeast cells. So it's very diluted, um, and then you look at it under the microscope. Um, so you can see how many dead and alive cells you have, and you can see how many cells are in there. And with that information, you can calculate 
you know, how many milliliters, thousand milliliter cells you have per, per liter. And you can see what your percentage of dead and alive cells is. So as long as you're above 85% and you have a healthy amount of cells, you can reuse your yeast for another batch. A lot of, especially, you know, new breweries, they, um, they just go blind in. They say, okay, we have the yeast, we collect it, we store it properly, and then we hope for the best and we just pitch it again and hope the beer goes well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sadly we had, I think we had two batches that were uh, probably underpitched because the yeast wasn't, uh, it was still okay, but not, uh, wasn't enough uh, live cells. So those batches didn't come out well. So we, we needed to like, hey, step it up and you know, make sure that we don't do this because besides spending the money on a, on a new batch of yeast, you're also spending the money on all the grains and all the labor and everything. So for every company, when you ruin a batch of something, it's, it's, it's bad. And, and when you're a small brewery and people are expecting your beer to come out and you're sort of like your sales guys are pushing, hey, we need this beer now. And you know, a batch is ruined and yes, that's very, very fed. So we, we started implementing that and that was sort of the, the, the first things that I brought up to the table as a sort of a like new knowledge to the, to the whole brewing here. Yeah, that's something I want to talk more about. I want to talk about the, like your yeast in particular. Um, I know you, I noticed you brew a lot of like, like Dunkelweizens and Hefeweizens and stuff like that. And those are all known for their, you know, weird yeast profiles and stuff like that. But first I want to ask you sort of what your background is and how you got into this. Uh, I was, I've been a home brewer for uh, about 10 years, um, uh, but I have worked in the, uh, on the, the bar side of things for a long time. So uh, I knew a lot about finished product. And early on when the guys were getting, uh, I was friends with the founders you know, when they were first getting going. And, um, you know, in those early days when they were getting, getting ready to go commercial, they were, I was getting calls from them like, hey, so we're about to start selling. Uh, how much does a keg cost? You know, and, and those kind of questions, you know, like very, uh, very basic. And so... You know, as they were learning what, the, you know, like how to enter the commercial market, they were calling me a lot and asking, um, you know, just you know, as, a, as a beer buyer, you know, and then marketing strategies. And the, one of the first sales calls, I, you know, uh, they called and said, hey, can we come give you our spiel? And I said, sure, because, you know, I did at the time I was doing it 10 times a day with, you know, brewers from, you know, both local and from all over the, the U.S. And so they, they, they kind of gave me the rundown and I gave them notes on don't say this, do this, you know, if, you know. <clears throat> there's going to be four or five different kinds of buyers probably, you know, and, and these are the strategies you should use it once you figure out personalities and, and stuff like that. Um, you want to go into, into that a little bit more? So where did you, sure. where did you work beforehand? I know there's lots of cool beer bars. Maybe it was one of those. Yeah. It's a lo- relatively local. It's a Texas chain called Little Woodrow's. Um, there are eight in Houston, eight in Austin, uh, two in San Antonio, one in Lubbock. They're building one in, um, they're building one in Lubbock. Sorry. There's one in Midland. Um, and they're building one at Beaumont as well. Um, it started off as a, like a small Texas ice house, you know, just buckets of Bud Miller cores. And as the craft beer scene hit, it was kind of uh, right when I started the craft beer scene. I was I'm from Austin originally, and the craft beer was hitting Austin. Um, the scene was hitting Austin, and so I was able to kind of help transition. That's a lot of the taps from you know Blue Moon into Live Oaks new stuff, or you know, the other local um, things that were were hitting were, um, were getting big. It kind of helped oversee transition at the tap wall to a more craft scene and then moved to Houston to open some locations with them and uh, same the Houston scene was a little bit uh, later to develop than, than Austin um, so when I first got here there was St. Arnold's and that was really it Carbot came along about a year or so after and then once Carbot kind of hit it just the floodgates were open and everybody was doing craft beer and you know the, now every bar you walk in. it used to be every bar you walked into had 10 or 15 taps and they were all you know pretty homogenous you know they're all kind of the same and now it's everybody's got 35 to 50 taps and you know it's almost all local or texas or or craft driven you know so um i had been working a lot in that um in that scene with finished beer you know but uh but helping the guys here um develop their kind of business strategy and so after a while it just became a I just come over and, and, and a very natural transition. I'm already yeah, helping yeah. you do this. Someone as well pay me to right. do it. Yeah. Um, what are some of the, you mentioned like, you know, the kind of strategies a sales call might look like. Um, I think mm-hmm. some listeners might be interested to know what a proper sales pitch would sound like. Do you know, have anything to share about that? Um, you know, it, you know, it's reading your, your buyers, you know, um, you're going to have people that are, are uh, you'll have some buyers that just, once you're in, once you're in an account, uh, 
they'll tell you like just go back and tell me what I need. You know, that's the that's the buyer you want because you're just dropping beer off essentially. Uh, there are other buyers that are gonna you're gonna have to handhold them early on, you know, and, and walk through every single beer, and, and you spend a lot of time in accounts, making sure you're doing pint nights every day, you're, you know, once a month, or, or sponsoring events, that kind of thing, uh, to kind of build the relationship. Um, and then, uh, you know, as you progress, you, you'll, and, uh, um, and there'll, there'll be some buyers that are will just kneel to you to death on every little thing, you know, and it's, you know, they might buy a beer, you, you go in there six times and. Yeah, in a month, and they'll buy one thing every six months, you know. So it's, but you still, you know, it's it's part of the thing, you know. I mean, um, it's just a numbers game. You you know, you keep plugging away at it, and you know, hope, hopefully something sticks. Um, um, yeah. Do you guys distribute a lot of beer to a lot of bars and stuff here of your under the radar beer? Yeah, we um, we're draft only currently, so we don't do any packaging at the moment. Uh, but we're typically in. 65 to 80 accounts in and around Houston. Um, um, And then we have expanded our sales staff a little bit. We're about to bring on a a third person um, going into the new year. So um, we're hoping to expand even further or hone in on some more of a a ton of bars in um, uh, Inner Loop Houston, which is, you know, there's a um, kind of surrounds downtown and a lot of different, uh, a lot of different demographics, neighborhoods. so we're bringing on another person to kind of hone in on, you know, and spend more time in, on some of those bars. So currently we've been running with somebody that is, has created great relationships with, with people, but um, there's too many bars and restaurants for one person to, to handle. And so we're, we're bringing in extra people that, you know, kind of, it's, it's not, the relationships have been started, but you, you got to follow through on them and make sure that people are, you know. Yeah. Um, do you guys work with a distributor or just your local guys? We like don't. We're, guys? we're self-distributed, uh, and that's kind of the base of our sales strategy is, you know, on a Friday night, if you get blown up and you need beer on Saturday afternoon, we'll bring it to you. If you need beer on a Sunday morning, you, you text me before 10, like, we'll, we'll get you beer, you know. Um, so that's kind of been our stock and trade a little bit with the people going through distributors are a little harder to deal with because they just, you know, they're going to have multiple levels of, of people to, to, to deal with. And depending on the size of the distributor, they're going to say like, we just, you know, we're in your area on Tuesday and that's it. That's all you get, you know? So we, um, we really focus on, you call us, we'll come to you, you know? What are some of the distribution rules in, in Texas? Like, I know that they're weird. They're weird by states. And, um, like, self-distributing, I didn't think was even... That must be a recent development in terms of actually being legal. No, you've always been able to self-distribute beer. Uh, there is a three-tier system with liquor. So you have to go through a wholesaler to buy to buy liquor. But in beer, you've always been able to do uh, direct. But we can only sell to people with a TABC license. So if you walked in and said, hey, I want to buy a keg, um, per our particular license, we, we're couldn't sell it to you but we could sell it to specs and you could buy from specs or with a local liquor store um but uh in terms of self-distributing we've uh, breweries have always been allowed to do that um there are new rules now in place that make it um once you get into much bigger than we are you know carboc you know level uh, distribution um it, they actually have to sell beer to the distributor and then buy that beer back to sell in their tap room, which is a that's right. Okay, is a very, I, very weird I, law. I you think know? I'd heard of something like that. Yeah, but, um, uh, but you but you've always been able to self distribute. Um, okay, and, and almost all small breweries have you know have started that way, and then you you hop on with a distributor. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that you couldn't buy beer at a brewery, at, like here in Texas, right? You had to go. You couldn't even buy. You couldn't even buy pints. You had to go buy a tour and get a pint for free. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And there's still, I like how there's still some places that have like the holdover vestiges of that. They offer tours a lot in Seattle. You don't get to go. No one offers brewery tours or anything like that. But here, like St. Arnold, even No Label did it. Um, Shiner still does. Like oh, last I checked, they still you, do. You buy tour. the tour and get yeah. three beer tokens for it. Yeah, 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 which is great. Like I don't know. I thought it was a lot of fun back in the day, um, but I I can imagine that not really aging well the way craft beer has sort of changed yeah that's um the opening up the letting the the breweries uh sell out of the uh, um uh, out of the locations has, has, has been a game changer you know you see uh, what st arnold just did with their expansion that you know that wouldn't have been yeah. there would have been no point to doing that or carbach has a beautiful new tap room and they you know there would have been no point to do that if they couldn't actively sell their beer uh, out of the locations and so uh 
but it has been a game changer for the breweries as well because you know your margins selling beer out of a tap room are considerably higher than selling you know commercially you know whether it's cans or or uh, kegs. So it's allowed uh, breweries to to really up the amount of uh, uh, income that they can uh, in, in uh, they can make on on, on product. Um, and it's you know it also helps garner the, it helps build brand you know and, and you know come to the tap room you know almost everybody's got a food truck or something you know so it's a yeah. you know it just it, it's good for the to, to build on well, Seattle the popular thing to do is to not even bother distributing you just only sell out of your tap room you're like the local just like a local bar local Starbucks like it doesn't matter you're you're selling your beer right out of your wall and nowhere else anywhere else you sell it is basically at cost for marketing and. Uh, I don't know how, how much of your uh, I don't know how much of your revenue comes from your distributed sales versus your. Uh, I would say uh, the majority of our, of our revenue comes from Taproom, and there actually is a, a brewery opening uh, soon. That that's that's their business model is no distributing uh, brew out of you know Taproom only. You know um, that that's definitely a strategy and it's smart. You know, it, but at that point you're you know you're opening a restaurant. You know, so you're yeah. you know like you're. You're putting all your eggs on everybody will come to you, you know, that, and that's, you know, all your eggs are in that basket, you know, um, which is, you know, not a bad idea, um, but it helps when you can, you know, kind of offset a little bit where, you know, you're getting people to come to you and you, you offer, you know, a cool place to hang out and, you know, and the beers and it's, people enjoy that, but it, it also helps when they can leave your place, walk down, you know, go to the, you know, bar down the street and buy another pint of what they were just drinking of yours, you know? So, yeah. um, we were, we really like being able to do both. The majority of our sales do come from in-house, uh, sales, but we, we have a very solid, uh, um, outside sales program as well. Uh, we were talking earlier about yeast. We're about to get on going on that tangent. Um, so yeah, I noticed you guys have, You've got a Bach, you've got a Dunkelweizen, you've got a Hefeweizen. Um, are are there any? Is that any particular trend? I don't know. You sort of mentioned you kind of had. You said you had standard beers. Um, I don't know. You want to go into about that? Like, why do you choose the kind of beers you brew? Uh, well, we we started with our, our five main beers. So we had our IPA, we had our Porter, our Bach, our Hefeweizen, and our Blonde. And that was sort of the the goal for the for the the guys, the founders, to have something for everybody. And not be specializing in either a lot of dark stuff or a lot of IPAs or showers or anything. Just something. You come in, you are not really a big craft beer drinker. And you can always have something you like. So we started off with those five styles. And then we tried to change it up some, sometimes with some extra seasonals that are more into like the, the, the craft lovers. And hopefully to convince people that come here who normally just drink their, their normal blonde to say, hey, you know, you know what, I'll try this one and see if I like it. So that's sort of the, 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 the beginning goal was to always have something for everybody uh, to like. We deviated a little bit of it so that we want to have more fun uh, seasonals because it's also, it's, it's hard to, with some styles, it's hard to get into bars. As of course, all bars where you go to, they have a few IPAs on tap, but every brewer and their mother makes IPAs. So it's sometimes very hard to get your IPAs into to bars. And if you have some different styles that are more unique, then of course a bar is, is more likely to say, "Hey, you know what? We don't have any of those. Uh, you know, I'll take one of those and, and I'll go with that." So it's sort of like a, a compromise that we want to have always something for the for the the beginning craft beer drinkers and something for the people that want something special. So we uh, we now have our Laughing Bear, so Russian Imperial Style, which is of course when you are Normally used to drinking Bud Lights and everything, you're going to hate. We, we have a, a program uh, that we call our Hop Shop program where we take our beers and we uh, dry hop them with, with different hops to just create some, some funky experience. So always have, try to always have those in tap so people come here and they want something else because it's also a trend that, especially with the younger generation, that they always want something new. Uh, sort of like the untapped generation where they, they work harder to... to diversify their portfolio on untapped and actually trying to uh, enjoy beers. Uh, they, they just come in and check their phone. Okay, I have not have this one and I will have this one. I don't care if I like it or not. Uh, and I'm sort of, uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of the, the app and I use myself as well. Um, so I'm sort of guilty as well on it. 
but you, you do notice that people want something new pretty much all the time. Uh, so trying to do small batches of those and incorporating our test batch system to do small fun things as well helps in that, in that uh, direction. So, so that's sort of like the, why we have our main styles and, and different beers, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a hyper competitive market as well. So, you know, you can <clears throat> the first couple of times, you know, for the first six months or a year that you're around, you know, if you have your core brands, you can, you know, you can sell those and get people to rotate through, you know, it, you know, five or six beers over the course of a year or so. But then, you know, people want something different, or you know, people like your brewery, they want to try something different, and so you know, you. Uh, you know, you, you, from a sales standpoint, it gets really much more difficult to keep selling the same product over and over and over again, unless you just find that you know it, you, you're lucky enough to create a beer that just becomes ubiquitous in your your market or whatever. You know, um, Yellow Rose or, or Fireman's Four or, or or Love Street would be beers in the Houston market that are like that, where it's you know if you've got four, four taps on the wall, one of those is you know those beers. You know, um, that's very difficult for a lot of brewers to do, and so the the response to that is we'll just keep making new stuff so that every time I walk into an account or every time somebody walks in to the tap room you have something new to tell them about you know and so you've got to be very reactive to the um, to the market and you yeah. know and, and when, when it's this competitive yeah that's kind of funny I um I drink Fireman's 4 and I have a, like a tin tacker on my wall of Fireman's 4 up in Seattle that I actually kept from here and uh I hadn't really thought about it, but yeah, like, what the heck? How did that beer get become just the thing everyone yeah, drinks? Yeah, it's, time? I mean, it, you know, it's like, like, why does everybody drink Blue Moon? You know, and like, yeah. you know, or, you know, or at least why did everybody drink Blue Moon yeah. 10 years ago? You yeah. know, it just, uh, you know, sorry, it's, uh, yeah, but, um, you know, it's, it's decent beer for, you know, and at the time it was very novel, but it, it had staying power and it, you know, it's, or, um, yeah, I'm sure you guys have plenty of examples or fat tire or something, you know, it's yeah. good beer, you know, yeah. but uh, like, why, why was that the one that everybody said, Hey, this is my beer from now on, you know, yeah. I, and it's, it's really, you know, it's probably timing a little bit of, you know, luck a little, you know, there's no, I don't think anybody could point to one thing and say, this is why everybody really got into this beer, but yeah. it just is right time, right place. It's a novel product and that became everybody's go-to, you know? Yeah. Um, word of mouth goes a long way, you know. Um, yeah. But but you find those beers that are, are oddly again I'd say ubiquitous because they just become like everywhere you go. That's the beer that you yeah. know. Like I, Yellow Rose is another good example that you mentioned that those those that's by Lone Pint, right? Mm-hmm. Um, out in Magnolia ish area, sure. um, and uh, I only know because you pass by Lone Pint on your way to the Ren Fair. <laughs> right, that's <laughs> and, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that yeah that beer is a uh, yeah pretty good IPA. But I don't know. You look at the box. You look at the like the box and the bottle art, and you're like, okay, okay, I get why this is everywhere that everyone's always talking about. Right. That, that, but, that, but that came later. You know, they, yeah, they started. They, it, it was a draft product with, to, that they sold, and that's interesting because it's a you know it's easier to sell draft, but it's harder to create a brand around draft. I, I would argue. Yeah. Because it's you know bottle you have you know x amount of space to create a you know a brand and an identity and you know. Uh, when you're selling draft, you have a tap handle, you know, and that's it. And then in, in a story, if you can convince bartenders or bar managers or whoever else that, you know, it, you know, this beer is better than all the other beers, you know, this blonde is better than all the other blondes or, or whatever it is, you know, um, or IPA is better than all IPAs. Um, you start to, you just like, you, you believe it and then you convince people that that's true and that's how you build the brand. And then, you know, like for Lone Pine, they, they built Lone, uh, Yellow Rose, the, the packaging, it came afterwards, you know, um, which is uh, <clears throat> kudos to them because it's it's a hard it's a hard sales game to play to to build on nothing, you know, and yeah. just convince people that you they, they are drinking the best IPA that they've ever had, you know, and they they pulled it off. Yeah, weird. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll keep looking for the secret sauce, but I suspect yeah. there is none. <laughs> the secret sauce was doing it ten years ago. Right. <laughs> um, do you guys do beer fests at all? We did lots of beer festivals up in Seattle where like you'll get 40 brewers just all around all serving their little beers. Yeah, quite a few. Um, the, the, the beer season, is, as I call it, it typically runs uh, mid to late March through uh, mid-October in Houston. Uh, but that middle part, it's incredibly hot here. So people still come out and drink a lot of beer, but uh, nobody's really happy about doing it. Uh, <laughs> So, um, but yeah, we, we take part, we'll probably be involved in 15 to 20, uh, uh, beer fest where we don't, um, 
you know, but but it becomes funny. It's a uh, uh, it's all the same people every weekend that you're running into. You know, oh, all, yeah. you know. So you're like, hey, what's up, man? Here we are again. You know, yep, yep. <laughs> setting up your tent. You help somebody else set up their tent. You know, you guys are you know setting up everybody's jockey boxes. You know, and they help you out, and you know, it just becomes a thing. Like, you know, during the season, that's what you do. <laughs> it's <laughs> you it's a very great community here in Houston. It's it's everybody's always willing to help each other out. You know, at some point we had. Uh, where we had one of our our wine Stefano yeast, the ones we use for our our, um, our half and our dunkel, was caught in a storm and was sitting in a layover somewhere for four days. So of course that yeast, you know, when it came here, you know, we didn't really want to use it. So um, we actually had like a no label helping us out, uh, giving us uh, some of their think, like six, seven generation yeast we used for the brew and it turned out great and. Um, and same as you know, some people, you know, sometimes they call for, hey, do you have these hops because we run out and everything like So it's a very fun and, and nice community. So it's, even though you're, of course, competing, highly competitive in getting your, your tap handles out there, uh, still everybody's very nice to each other. And, and um, you know, we have... Uh, everybody wants everybody to, to succeed, just not at the, at the expense of you, know, you not succeeding. But... Uh, as competitive as it is, everybody is very generous and, and, and it's it's yeah. more communal than anything else. Yeah. You know? I'm waiting for a brewer to say that, like, you know, because most people will agree that the brewing community is very, like, they're very generous. They're always happy to help out. Um, I'm getting more and more brewers starting to say that it's competitive. And I'm waiting for one brewer to say of another brewery, man, fuck those guys over there. This, that brewery sucks. All they do is ruin everything. Yeah. And, and that, have it not be... Carbach or one of the ones that's owned by sure. Budweiser. Well, uh, I, but I, th I think the thing is, that, you know, I think this is true nationwide. We were looking at um, HR numbers recently and, and just going through competitive salaries, you know, across the U.S. and where where Houston stands, you know, and stuff like that. And I think it's universally true, not universally, but it, 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 as a nationwide, you know, the brewing industry doesn't. It's a lot of fun, but it doesn't pay particularly well. Yeah. So. If you're involved in it, you have to really want to be involved in it. You know, you everybody that works in in the brewing industry has, at some form or way way shape or form, is is passionate about what it is they're doing. And I think that's the difference between the beer community and really any other competitive industry out there is that everybody that works here or works in the industry cares and so, you know uh, about what they're doing. And so that that really tempers you know. You don't like somebody's beer, like I don't. I don't drink their beer, but you know, good on them. You know, they're making beer. That's cool. You know, I, you know there's plenty of breweries I can think of that I, you know, like I probably wouldn't buy one. You know, and I, if they told me I, I don't buy your beer, like that's cool, man. You know, yeah. but I, but you're not. There's lots of. But you, but you don't have a visceral like uh, yeah. reaction, you're like man, screw you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's okay. uh, it's just not the, that's. I don't think that's the mentality for the almost the, uh, the majority of people that work in the industry. That's a fair answer to say. Okay. I'll keep looking though. <laughs> um, let's see, but yeah, so talking of, talking about sales again, you know, trying to keep a beer on tap that everyone wants, and trying to make sales at bars. And you were talking about how you know bars are buying IPAs, and that's kind of how that goes. It's kind of weird to keep you know your weird beers on tap to bring to beer fests and your like stand like your IPA that you're going to sell. At least in Seattle, like. Uh, an IPA, the IPA you have, your house IPA is going to be your like sixty percent of your sales. Is that is that similar out here? Uh, yeah. I mean, do you mean like in terms of IPA sales? I mean, or, our, like ours is IPA, but I noticed like the first one on your menu is your Hefeweizen, so maybe that's yeah. A, you know, IPAs are were huge here, and and they're still uh, it's a, still a huge part of the market. Um, I think through the radar love, we just actually found that we were selling more of it than anything else, and our IPA is a little bit different than. Um, uh, what what's popular in the market uh, is a little more of an English style, so it's a little drier, a little more floral, you know, and not super um, citrusy. Um, so we we already had a difference. Things people that like the IPA really like it, but there are plenty of people that were like, eh, you know. And I, I think I think the weather for us in our with our tap room being uh, mostly outside, um, people like to drink blonde and have when it's warm. So, I mean, of course, Seattle, it's, it's going to be cold pretty much all the time. Um, but when I'm hot, I generally like something more, a bit more sweeter, a bit more fruitier to just sit down and enjoy and, and drink. Um, and I think that's a lot of our customers agree to that because we yeah, see... It's approachable. 
yeah, so as we see, our, our half is, is generally you know, knocking out the numbers in the summer, and we, we do a, a raspberry infusion as well um, in the summer, well, basically eight months of the year when it's nice and warm here. Uh, and that works out very well as well. Um, so we, we see that's our, our, our uh, Radar Love is, is our basically number one selling beer inside and outside for generally eight, nine months of the year. Well, a lot of times I like to talk about sort of the industry in general. Um, the, the topic that comes up most often is, you know, big brewery buyouts like Carbach. Um, you guys are probably a little closer to that scene. What, what's sort of the feeling behind that? I know in Seattle we had Elysian. That was our big brewery. It was a you know, town favorite, and then they got bought out, and there was a lot of bitterness. Is Carbach the same way here? Uh, it was early on, but, uh, you know, I, when it happened, I, I was still on the, on the bar scene, and I, I, everybody that got really bent out of shape about it and was like, screw, you know, I'll never drink another Carbach again. I, you know, Carbach started as, you know, the, it was, the guys that opened it were, you know, they, they, they found a good brewer, you know, that was, had already had nation, you know, national credibility, and they had sold a, a smaller distribute, uh, uh, distribution network to, another, to a bigger distributor. Um, so they were well-funded. You know, it was never a couple of guys in a garage that, you know, sold out their dream. It was always planned to be a big brewery that would, you know, they were... The day they opened the door, they were going to compete with St. Arnold's, you know, from a you know, small stand, you know, standpoint. Um, so when people got really bent out of shape and, you know, like, oh, this, this local brewery, you know, small brewery, uh, you know, turned on us, like, it, that was never the case, man. You know, like, it was my response to that. So, I, you know, I, I think it's kind of the, the, uh, the hipster um, beer response, like, oh, you got to be small and you got to be, nobody's ever heard of you to be good. You know, like, that's... You know, my, my thing was, you know, if, if you get on a United flight, you can buy Goose Island. And Goose Island, you know, seems like, you know, average beer here. But if you go to Chicago, there's, you know, Goose Island does a lot of local, you know, distribution uh, um, uh, lines that you can't buy nationwide. And, you know, the beer is great there. And, say, and Carbach is kind of in the same uh, same line, I'm sure, Elysian. Uh, you yeah. know, you can buy a lot of Elysian in Washington State that you can't find here, you know. And... Um, but my, so my thing was, dude, if I can get on a, on a, you know, airline flight and buy a Carbach Hoppadillo, like, that's cool. I can, you know, if I'm flying to Amsterdam and I can drink a, you know, a Houston beer on the way, if selling to Anheuser-Busch got them that, that, to that level, then whatever, I, you know, I, but they're also, you know, from our, at our level, like Carbach is not competition to us, you know, so we also, from the brewery standpoint, we, we you know, they were always way, way bigger than us. So it's yeah. not, you know, there might be somebody down the street that were, you know, you know, that's also on a 10 barrel system and we're banging away at trying to take over tap panels from each other, you know, in, in, you know, good spirit, you know, but yeah. you know, that's competition, but Carbach, you know, that, you know, can, goes in and a new bar opens and they're out before they walk in the door, they're getting four tap handles, you know, that's just, yeah. that's, that's a different scene, you know? Yeah. You don't like sort of resent Carbach for that, that sort of the fact that it got those for free sort of opening, you know, they, the bar there, I got those four tap panels because Budweiser does it all for them. No, nah, it is what it is. You know, I mean, you know, again, it's like being mad about that would be mad at, I don't know, uh, Dos Equis getting a tap before you open, you know, yeah. it's like, it's going to happen. <laughs> you know, it's a, at that level, it just is what it is. And, and that's only a local thing, but you yeah. know, for, for Carbock, but, um, you already know it's coming, you know, and what you can do, you know, the, the response from our end to that as well, you know, they got you know, the bar opened with Ford Carbach tap panels, maybe Anheuser-Busch or the Silver Eagle, the distributor gave them some support where they got, you know, couplers and stuff like that that you're not really supposed to be doing. But so we'll, you know, they, they open with those tap panels, so we'll start bringing them our stuff and see if we can get one or two of those, you know, maybe not all the time, but on a rotating basis, you know, and, and so, you know, those level breweries are doing kind of the heavy lifting for the small guys, I think. Um, and so that, you know, they're, they're helping uh, bars get open and then, you know, and then having a popular, easy to sell product. And then you can kind of not back channel, but, but you start working on, you know, is, you know, do you have to have these taps all the time? Can I, you know, can, can we sell our beer every here every once in a while? And typically that's the case, you know? So. Interesting. All right. And I would, more likely hear the interpretation of like, hey, we're fighting for the scraps that's left behind by Carbach and Budweiser rather than your interpretation, which I kind of like more. 
just sort of like, yeah, that's just a, that's the environment that we're in. Like, that's how that goes. And it sort of is, you know, there's something scrappier about that than sort of just sitting back and whining about it. Yeah. But there's also, you know, like we, uh, we had our Griswold, uh, Porter that we, uh, you just finished. And, uh, and so, you know, we made that at the same time that everybody else was making, you know, the, the Christmas beer, you know, Shiner Cheer and, um, Carbach had their Bill Street Your Eye Out and St. Arnold's had their Christmas Ale. So they, you know, all those breweries, you know, because of the scale that they're at, uh, you know, they made their Christmas Ale in early September and then they released it end of September and they wanted it all out the door and everybody done with it by, you know, November 16th or whatever. So they get ready for the, you know, the next seasonal release because they're brewing at such a big scale. But for us, you know, we still had the Christmas Porter out and so we actually sold a ton of it right at the end of December, right before Christmas, when everybody else w- was saying, I, we, I, I don't want to sell any more Christmas stuff because, it, you know, we'll get, if we have, if we still have an inventory, we're going to get stuck with it. But if everybody ran out of their stuff. And so we actually saw <clears throat> a benefit to that because we still had Christmas product available all the way up to Christmas. And so, uh, being a smaller brewery, we, you know, we can be a little bit more agile and, you know, and, and be able to fill gaps when everybody else has already moved on to, you know, St. Arnold's is, about to release their Springbok, you know, um, and even though it's January, you know, like we still have a winter product we can fill that gap with, you know, and so you, you find those little pockets of, you know, like everybody else has moved on, and but like, hey, we're still here and we still have product and we're, you know, doesn't hurt us to, um, to, to keep that stuff around, you know, and, and fill those gaps and everybody's already moved on from to other stuff. Today we have a the peanut gallery here who've been sitting silently off the side. Good job, everyone, by the way. Um, I am going to ask you all in a second to so start thinking um, about any questions that maybe you wish I had asked or anything you guys want to know. Um, so, I don't know, think about that. And in the meantime, do you guys have any questions that you wish I'd asked? Do you want, maybe want to share about your brewery? Maybe, um, you know, st- you can start off with any events coming up. Maybe those will probably be out in a month. So maybe not any events coming up, but I don't know. Maybe yeah. anything you wish you want to share. Um, yeah, come, come check us out. Um, we're, <laughs> we're, uh, we're still kind of a Houston smallest and scrappiest brewery. You know, we're, it's, it's a, it's a title. I think we're, we're happy to wear. Are you smallest? Uh, we're not smallest, no, but, um, but we, I think in the terms of the way we've, we've opened, we opened on a, on a uh, very, in a very economical way. So we, uh, we didn't spend a Low capital. Like, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, two years in, you kind of see the, the effects of that, you know, where it's, you know, like we're, you know, we're, we're a very functional brewery, and we're, but we're very utilitarian. And so like, if you, if you walk into a lot of the tap rooms, it start maybe with a little bit more money, you know, they, they spend a lot of money on, you know, the front of the house, you know, type stuff. Um, we're playing kind of catch up on that, but we're getting yeah. caught up on it. And, uh, but so we're always happy to, every, I think it, we're at a point where every time somebody walks in, they're going to find something new that we're doing, um, which is pretty exciting for us. And, and, and we're excited to kind of grow with, you know, um, with that. Um, so yeah, yeah, if you're listening and you're in Houston, come, please come check us out. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're planning to always release new beers and, and uh, try to do fun s- stuff on, on the small batches and the big batches. Um, yeah, we're uh, yeah, we're, we're going to get some improvement on our uh, beer garden soon. So our outside will be even more uh, nicer and, and fun. Um, so yeah, if in, uh, they come check us out, bring your whole family, bring your pets. My dog always loves to play with other dogs. Um, or just sniff and random people and just sit next to them and, and ask to you know be petted. So if you like a, a pit bull mix to be you know friendly and they sit next to you while you drink beer, come over. It's a very big plus. It's always nice to have a house dog running around. Question. So from the the Washington standpoint, you know, I would equate Washington or, or Portland or, or Oregon to be kind of like uh, Denver or Colorado, where you you think you know there are so many breweries surely there can't be like surely there's a saturation point right you yeah. know like there like, can't be another one to open and then the next weekend there's three more open and you're like well, shit now i gotta go check out more stuff you know yeah do you uh, how do you guys feel like that that plays do you think it's uh i mean in terms of do you think that it's a it's a never-ending thing that people can just keep opening breweries and everybody's uh, or do you think there'll be a point where there's attrition and so, yeah, my thought on that is basically we, we're opening a lot of breweries and it feels like we might be in an saturation point, but that just can't be the, – that's not the case yet, right? We've, we've certainly reached the point, even here in Houston, 
Um, I would hazard a guess and say maybe the Seattle beer scene is a little more mature than this one um, in terms of saturation. But, you know, even in Seattle, or, okay, no, let's say even here, you really can't make a production brew anymore. Like, you know, the, this, no one's going to be making 10,000 barrels a year. Right. Um, and no one's going to be really getting it. No, there's no more shelf space in HEB. Quit trying to get in there. Like, it's not going to happen. Um, same thing in Seattle. That, that doesn't work. There, you know, bars have 30 tap handles, and they're not going to build another 30, right? You, you don't get to keep on adding more breweries. Um, but what there's still plenty of space for, uh, you know, there's still plenty of space for local local breweries like uh, your like your neighborhood brewery. Right. Um, so we've got moving uh, towards that. Go, just yeah. Not distributing. Yeah. Like I might I might go down on my street. I might go down my street, and I'd like to go to four different breweries the same way that I would go to four different bars. Right. We're at the point now where um, you know how like restaurants, what they they got like a like a seventy percent close rate. You open a new restaurant, seventy percent chance three years later you'll be gone. Um, with breweries, you open a new brewery, and right now there is a 10% chance three years later it'll be gone. And um, or that is a made-up number, made-up stat, but it's still good, right? Our, our attrition rate is not bad yet. I think we, uh, like, you don't reach that, we're not saturated until 50% of all breweries that open fail two years later, right? And that's just not where we're at. So it'll, be, it'll get to the point where breweries are getting more competitive, but we're not saturated, not yet. Right. Yeah, but that's fascinating because it, it just... You know, it's a, you know, there's a finite amount of people in any market, but yeah. so you've, you've got to figure like at some point people stop. Yeah. But I mean, think about how know, many people but, just go to um, who are walking down the street, how many bars there are on whatever the main drag sure, is. There might sure. be 12 bars on each side of the street and oh, they're all doing fine. Right. And what are they doing? You're at least, selling the same you're, you're at least surviving, you know, a, a, any business is like a person Like once yeah. it's open, it's all whole point in life is just to survive, you know? Yeah. You know, it, exactly. hopefully it does well for itself, you know, yeah. but aside from doing that, you just you yeah. maintain, you know, life. So that's interesting that, um, you know, even in the Houston beer scene, there are, in, in Houston, there are, are actually not that many breweries in Interloop, but there's a, a huge um, uh, population of people that are drinking craft beer. The majority of, of uh breweries are, uh, in Houston or craft, craft breweries are outside or out of loop and are, you know, in the outskirts of, of Houston. So, um, you know, that's a huge demographic. So it's okay for everybody to kind of find niche markets, you know, but yeah. there's a lot of room. And I, I always wonder, you know, how, like, could we make another hundred breweries in, in inner loop? I mean, there's enough yeah. money in Houston, I think, to, to pull it yeah. off, but could, you know, is, is the beer scene, you know, will it sustain? And I, I think it will, you yeah. know, but, um, but it's kind of you know it's hard to to, yeah. to peg what it is that that draws people you know yeah totally yeah well in Seattle we have you know brewery neighborhoods you know you go to Ballard where there's eleven breweries you go to Georgetown where there's eight go to go to Fremont where there's four you know there you know so you can kind of you just sort of know where the neighborhoods are you go there and you might plan to spend the whole day kind of walking around going to breweries Houston that's not really easy maybe Houston's it is easier in the inner loop. Well, but but even Houston, like you know, like there are three or four breweries within five miles of each other in the area called the Heights. Um, but they're five miles from each other, so you yeah. can bike easily. But it's not you don't have walking neighborhoods, yeah. you know, where you can park your car once and then yeah. you know walk to eight different places, yeah. you know. Yeah. Also, in the summer, that's generally walking yeah, doesn't happen. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, Do you guys think of anything? My buddy Eason was sitting in the back of the room, just barely out of range of the microphone, and he asked the following questions. What's up with all the box? Everyone's brewing Bach down here. Do you think you're under any particular pressure to brew Bach yourself? Uh, I don't think it came from any obligation. Uh, I think it was just a, a beer that you know the guys liked and you see a lot of, and so you know when you're drinking one thing all the time like well let's see what i can do with with this beer you know if you were uh, you know in uh, you know in a market that was sold i don't know any other kind of beer you know like you would you would go after that you would say like well let, let, let me see what i can do with with this you know style of beer you know um so i think there's just, there's a lot of box it's a really approachable style and in texas again especially with houston it's a it's still a relatively young uh, craft beer scene it's only about eight years old i would i would argue so there are a lot of people that want craft beer but don't necessarily want to try the mostly biggest the, the the biggest most aggressive thing and so I, I think you know a beer like a bach or the reason why blondes are so popular uh ambers are very popular um is because they're approachable styles you know so you can drink a craft beer without having to have a 
you know, 98 IBU, you know, IPA, you know, <laughs> that, you know, that's all you taste for the next three days, you know. So. How many yeast strands do you have? Ninkasi Brewery up where I live has two, an ale strain and a lager strain. Do you have more or less? We got four uh, currently running. So we have a um, English ale strain, we have a California ale strain, we have a Weinstefaner, and we have our uh, our yeast for our Bach, which is um, more a German ale variant. Um, which, if I would open a brewery, I would probably start with less than, than four, uh, but the guys wanted these beers and... and uh, I mean, the beers are perfectly good and they're fine. Um, but thinking of a production side, which of course I'm, I'm brewing all the time, and I'm, I'm more worried about that than anything else. Uh, you, have a, you have a logistical concern, yes, <laughs> with it. Because I mean, yeast is generally, uh, especially when you're reusing it, the more time you spend between uh, reusing it, of course, the more yeast cells die. Uh, so, so yeast, uh, if people don't know it. Uh, we store it in our cold room, so it's. Uh, almost up to the point where it's freezing, so these cells will stay alive and they will still um, replicate and they will still you know, reproduce uh, a little bit and they will still die, just at a slow rate. Um, so if you know, one of the styles is going through a, a rough period of sales, um, then the chance that they can, you can reuse the yeast a lot of times goes down and down and down. Uh, so that's why probably a lot of breweries try to keep it like, hey, I'm just going to use one string of yeast. It does limit you in, in what you can do uh, with your beers uh, and your styles. Um, or you develop a brewery flavor. You know, like a, like you know, Saint Arnold is a great example. Like a, I like all their beers, but they all have a just you know they, they use a limited amount of yeast, and so they all have a distinct. You can pick them out of a lineup. You know, like they all taste like Saint Arnold's beer. You know, because they have. Uh, similar yeast strains, you know, or the same yeast strain for a lot of their, you know, their lineup. So either like create a, a signature, you know, if you, if you make something that's really distinct and, or, you know, you have something that really finishes your beer off, that's awesome. But, um, uh, but you, you run the risk of being like, well, this is like, they only, you know, all their stuff tastes the exact same, you know? Um, yeah. And that's what we wanted as, as the, the goal for the brewery is to have something for everybody. Uh, and that comes in the price in, in that, that way that we have uh, to maintain multiple use cultures uh, and sometimes you know we have a very small uh, cold room and it's filled with like four or five yeast brings with different yeasts that all need attention all the time and like you're checking it like okay, if we brew next week will the yeast be still okay or should we brew this first because we need that yeast to survive and otherwise we need to order new yeast and that yeast will take up to a month to come here because some some strings, for example, our, our wine stefaner uh, yeast, sometimes it takes up to like a month and a half to uh, to come from uh, from white labs. So it's uh, sometimes it, it makes it makes it a fun game, but also a challenging one and sometimes a frustrating one. Sometimes me and Paul are fighting like, hey, I want to brew this beer. Why? Because the yeast will die. Well, we don't need it, but the yeast will die. Yeah, that's that's the the taproom Tetris. Like, dude, we don't need to have any more. Bach, you know, and then he's like, yeah, but, you know, whatever. Like, well, can we make something else, <laughs> you know, with, with the same yeast or, you know. But then you have to figure out TABC approvals and, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah, we, it's, 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 it's a Tetris game, definitely, of yeah, trying to, yeah. you know, figure out the, uh, with that, you know, where all the pieces fit. Yeah, and, and we have uh, four fermenters, so it's also, you know, you only need to, okay, so we can only have so many beers going at the same time, and it's it's... We, we, we're not doing lagers, uh, generally because the time it, it takes to, to create a lager with our four fermenters, um, it generally takes too long to, uh, to yeah. just spend. So we, so we pulled the yeast out already and we're just letting, them, letting the beer rest. And... Yeah, so it, it's uh, always a very challenging game and that makes it partly fun um, to sort of, uh, I wish I had a nice schedule where I can say I'm going to do this, 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 this next week and, and next month. And I sort of try to make it for myself, but it never turns out that way, ever. Well, then you, you, you know, like you get the production schedule set and then, you know, all that, you know, you're doing all that then you're doing the outside sales and then, you know, you've got a beer that you're ready to go. You've got all the, the marketing done. You've got all the tap handles ready to go. And then you realize, 
shit all the kegs around the market because we just sold a bunch of the last thing. And so like we have no, like we literally have nowhere to put this beer. So then you do the scramble of going in and trying to figure out how to get cooperage back, you know, so that you can get that back out. So it's, you know, because you've got a finite amount of, of, of metal, <laughs> you know, to put beer in. And so it, um, you know, that that's the other fun part of it. You know, if you're, if you're starting out, buy a ton of kegs. <laughs> Uh, and even then, it won't be enough. Always steal, you know, kegs from Anheuser Busch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, you know, they don't a, care a, that much. Maybe paid for our uh, yeah. pilot system. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, we stay away from the kegs from small small breweries. Okay. We yeah. need them. Yeah, yeah. They don't care though. They got funny. You know, yeah. they they change. You know, they they buy so many they can change the price of the cooperage. You know, so. Speaking of being well supplied, uh, I can't help but notice you have no fewer than six sellers of Catan sets uh, around this brewery. What's yeah. up with that? Uh, Ned, the founder, is uh, is a huge fan, um, and yeah, I think we were running some clubs early on, which surprises me because it you know it takes like four and a half weeks to play a game. <laughs> yeah, we, so, we had our, um, our Thursday was a game night, and had a lot of every them. once once a month we did a Catan tournament. Or people just could randomly come, show up, and then uh, they would basically reset with four people, and then whoever won that game then get to next round, and then probably another round, and then the, the winner got you know uh, prizes of unmentionably value because you cannot really actually mention the value of a prize because then it's sort of giving it's game, Texas game. laws. It's yeah. very very strange. <laughs> you can see the half of a uh, Viking hood horn mm -hmm. thing there. When I, when I first got here, they were doing uh, 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 Dungeons and Dragons tournaments here on, th on, oh. on once, a, once a month, which was cool, you know, and like people were, would, but we would have so much Dungeons and Dragons crap, you know, like spears, shields, <laughs> like, you know, people would kind of, you know, like not that you have to dress up to, to play Dungeons and Dragons, but everybody would get into character and so uh, I've thrown away a lot of... Oh, that's <laughs> funny. A lot of yeah, me and him play Dungeons and Dragons. I've been his dungeon master since we were ten. Nice. <laughs> yeah, we'd have stuff everywhere, you know, and like it's all like little pieces, like uh, broken apart bands of yeah. gold, and you know, that's so funny. <laughs> all right, guys, we've been chatting for a while, so I got one more uh, lightning round question. Um, what are your th each of y'all? What are your three favorite Texas breweries? It's kind of a hard question, but maybe you have an answer. Maybe you can hazard an answer. One of them better be under the radar. Other than under the radar. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Leave yourselves out of it. Um, uh, I like Eleven Below. Eleven they're, Below? They're, they're a nice, fun brewery. They do fun stuff. Um, I think uh, Baylison is a nice one in, in Rice Village. Uh, Baylison? Baylison? Baylison, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, no distributing, just tap room. Yes, yeah. tap room. And... Um, it's a fetching lab. And fetching lab? Yeah, they just, just opened their tap room in Texas City. Okay. Uh, they're really, really cool guys. And I'm just saying this because I generally just like the people who make the beer a lot. Because uh, it's just so hard to choose beers between yeah. beers. But I, I just like these people a lot. And that sort yeah. of, you know, is this. Exactly. Yeah. All right, keep those three in mind. Eleven below, fetch and lap, and um, Bailison. All right, and your three. Uh, I'd say uh, Real Ale out of uh, Blanco, uh, five one two uh, out of Austin. Um, uh, probably Austin Beer Works out of Austin as well. Okay. Um, I'll I'll make great beer. Yeah. So those are three that I've heard of. I haven't actually heard of yours. <laughs> um, okay, you first. Out of those three beers, those those three breweries you men mentioned, which ones you marry? Which one'd you bang and which would you kill? You're lucky you get some more time to think about your answer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I guess I would I would bang Bellison, <laughs> uh, kill fetching lip and marry your left below. <laughs> Why? You thought really hard about it, so hopefully you've got to... <laughs> uh, I think I'm just going to leave it with this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. What about you? Uh, I would marry 512. Uh, 
even though they weren't the first craft brewery in Austin, they were the one that the ones that kind of caught me, caught my eye uh, on craft brewing um, as a as a thing. You know, as a small startup type thing. All everybody else was even like Live Oak was small in Austin at the time. Uh, they were still big, you know, or they seemed big. But Five One Two was, you know, kind of I imagine the guys kind of doing what we're doing here. You know, um, uh, Austin Beer Works would be a bang. Um, just because they're they make a lot of cool stuff and they're they're fun and you know they're just always aggressive with with what what they're doing and their seasonals are are fantastic and then I'd probably kill Rio uh, 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 Rio uh, Blanco uh, Rio Alfa out of Blanco because um, they've got a distillery open now so they don't need the you know <laughs> <laughs> they can die as a beer company. <laughs> All right, all right. Well, that's that's a great answer. Um, all right, guys. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure hanging out with you. Uh, what do you say? We grab a beer. All right. This week's episode guests were Paul and JJ of Under the Radar Brewery. Get their beer next time you're in Houston. This episode was produced by me, the cycling certified Cicerone. Music by Lee Roosevelt. If you like what you heard, you can leave a review or a comment on Apple Podcasts or maybe go back to Facebook and leave a like. Definitely share this podcast with your friends. That would really help me out. This podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, now including Spotify. Some some bike trails in town though that are horrible. They just go on the one way street. And you yeah. go the opposite side, and then yeah. the bike trail just suddenly stops. <laughs> and then you're like, "What do I do now?" <laughs> I guess I'll just go on the sidewalk now. I don't know. And the pedestrians are getting mad at you. Yeah. It's completely yeah. ridiculous. But you should drive